outside. And I'm feeling like stripes. They hitting on me and my homie. Cause our minds not in life. They mad cause we just got the passion. Never slacking or lagging. The funny thing is, step up to us. You know we bout that action. But look. Welcome back to the Savant Podcast. This is another installment. Uh, here at the Savant Podcast, we fulfill your pop culture needs every week, including sports talk, streaming talk, album and song reviews, and video games talk as well. Uh, today, we will be discussing Channel Orange by Frank Ocean in a new segment where we review old albums and one-off reviews, which is like separate from our discography reviews. Uh, you can follow myself, Issue High, on Instagram and Twitter at Issue underscore High. And uh, make sure to follow me on Spotify, SoundCloud, and subscribe to my YouTube music channel. For those who don't know, I'm dropping two albums this year, and uh, the first album that I'm dropping this year, Romance to Ruins, will be coming out on February 14th. But without further ado, Stikes, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for asking. Uh, excited for this episode. Uh, it's going to be a fun one, uh, or the, of the segment, I should say, this episode included. But uh, yeah, so for this segment, obviously, we're going to be reviewing Channel Orange, like Issue said, and... You know, instead of the discography reviews where we, you know, review a bunch of albums, we were thinking of just going back and reviewing individual albums uh, in history at a time. So we're starting with Channel Orange because we haven't really talked about Frank's music on this podcast too much. Uh, but both me and Issue uh, have Frank and, you know, both of our, you know, top fives, uh, top tens uh, artists ever. But yeah, Issue, how are you doing? I know you got accepted to a bunch of schools. Tell the audience all about that. Uh, yeah, I got accepted to uh, a bunch of universities that I applied to on the college applications. And uh, right now, I'm just kind of looking at everything and not really putting my eggs in one basket. And I kind of just want to take my time and eventually I'll make my decision in mid to late April to decide where I'll spend the next four years uh, of my college experience. But I'm really excited about that. Uh, thank you for asking, though. Yeah, no problem, man. And yeah, if you guys... Follow us on Instagram, uh, and I should say follow me, Stike Savant, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, just type in Stike Savant, S-T-Y-K-E-S, and then Savant, S-A-V-A-N-T. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I also have another IG, Stanley Severa. Those are my two middle names, if you want to follow that. Because uh, yeah, my Instagram was hacked for the last like two weeks, if she knows about that, but I got it back, and I deleted it. And the hacker is no longer on there. But that was stressful. But done with that. Uh, so let's get into the episode. So Channel Orange by Frank Ocean. It dropped on July 10th, 2012. Uh, it's a debut studio album from Frank Ocean. Uh, it features production from Pharrell Williams, Omaz Keith, uh, Frank Ocean, and Malay. Uh, I was nominated for four Grammys. And it won uh, one, I believe, for the Urban Contemporary album. That's like the R&B album uh, or Grammy Award that they have at the Grammys. Uh, but let's do a little intro on Frank Ocean since we haven't talked about him before in the podcast. So Issue, I'm going to let you start with your Frank Ocean intro. Frank Ocean is one of the greatest singers and songwriters of the 2010s. 
and he's had like a lot of mainstream success, but he he's never felt mainstream. I, one thing I say about him, all his songs feel like personal, deep down, introspective songs, but some of them just happen to you know become very popular, and I just think it resonates with a lot of people. Christopher Baru was born on October 1987 in Long Beach, California, but his family relocated, I'm sorry, to New Orleans, Louisiana when he was five years old. And I remember, I think at that time they had a hurricane in uh, New Orleans and pretty much like, I believe most music equipment and stuff was destroyed. And it was just like a lot that went on during that time before he went to LA to pursue his career in music. But like pretty much the introduction to him, man, I just want to say, man, he's just an amazing artist, uh, amazing singer, songwriter. And I just think that he has no bad projects. And um, I don't know when he'll release music again, but like, I'm just very excited about that. But like my introduction to him is I just like, I don't know, I just like his backstory. It's one of those those superhero backstories to me. And I just think it motivates me to to do what I love and just like try to work hard no matter how hard things get. Yeah, he does have a uh, very motivational backstory, you know, moving you know, to Louisiana when he was five. And I've been to New Orleans myself. And I mean, even if you haven't been there, you know, it's a very musical town, you know, in the the movies, pop culture about New Orleans. But yeah, you can almost feel that in his music uh, that I wouldn't say necessarily the, you know, the sounds or, you know, old New Orleans music, but it's like just the, the passion that he has in his music. You can tell that he's from a city with a lot of passion. Because there's lots of cities with music as a big passion of, you know, their culture. But yeah, before he, you know, signed, you know, to Def Jam and was affiliated with Odd Future and, you know, Tyler, the creator, uh, he, you know, as a ghostwriter, he wrote music for John Legend, Brandy, Justin Bieber, uh, The Internet, uh, Beyonce, Connor Maynard, Alicia Keys, James Blake. Uh, the Alicia Keys and like Connor Maynard and James Blake songs were like after Channel Orange and Blonde. We'll get to that album another time, but you know, his, uh, I guess you could say third studio album if you put Endless as an album as well. But uh, yeah, like, so he adopted after doing all this ghostwriting, adopted the stage name Frank Ocean. As issue said, his real name is Christopher Burrow. And he joined the LA-based hip-hop collective Odd Future, who he all met in 2009. But, you know, before Channel Orange, once Channel Orange came out, you know, people kind of almost saw him above the group and he kind of distanced himself. But let's get to our overall thoughts of the album. So we're going to talk about like what we remember about listening to the album for the first time and then like songs that kind of caught on from like the get-go. Uh, for both of us, and then we'll kind of go into uh, what this album is in the 2010s. Uh, so, Issue, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what do you remember about listening to Channel Orange as it came out a decade ago? Yeah, it did come out a decade ago, and I remember listening to a few of the songs when I was a little bit younger of a kid, uh, more notably Thinking About You, because it was like it was the most mainstream song from him at the time, and I think it still is, honestly. I remember it being on Vine, like the old app, I don't know if people remember that, but Vine was like an old app where you record. It's it's kind of like TikTok, basically. I never really paid attention to the lyrics and all like that. Like I just knew that the song was very popular and a lot of people listened to it. And I listened to the I didn't listen to the full album. I listened to a few songs of the album and pretty much after that I kind of just like stopped listening to Frank Ocean. And later on in high school, I say freshman year, when I met uh my ex-girlfriend, she put me on, she reintroduced me to his music and 
once she sent Channel Orange, I listened to the full album and I started breaking down the lyrics and I started going on YouTube videos and searching up the things that happened to Frank Ocean before the release of his debut album. And once I listened to um, his debut album, I kind of went back and listened to his his uh, first mixtape, Nostalgia Ultra. So like I was like heavily invested in um, Frank Ocean. I started listening to Novocaine and uh, Swim Good and just going through his discography after listening to his debut album. Like I still listen to Frank Ocean now, not as much because it's like a little hard to because my ex-girlfriend is the, the inspiration for Romance to Ruins, my project that's dropping on Valentine's Day. So it's a little bit hard to listen to Frank Ocean. But occasionally, every now and then, it's just hard not to because his music is just amazing. And uh, at one point in time, Channel Orange, I put that over Blonde when I like first started listening to him heavily. But now I say Blonde is definitely better as time progressed on. But that's pretty much my introduction to the project. Like I really love Channel Orange. It's like a classic, and it's a very personal project, and it helped me get through high school. Yeah, for myself, uh, yeah, Channel Orange is definitely you know a huge staple at you know, the, in the beginning part of the, you know, the 2010s and, you know, the decade itself in, in general. And I remember listening to this because everyone was talking about it at school, you know, like my, some of my close friends were really into, you know, R&B and, you know, pop music more than me. I was more like just like mainstream hip hop in a way, even though this was ended up becoming pretty mainstream because when it came out, it was underrated. And like, you know, the lead up to it, you know, with Thinking About You, I'm not sure what Thinking About You debuted at, but I assume not on the Hot 100 its first week. Yeah, it's crazy. It's been like 10 years since this album, you know, came out and Frank blessed us with this masterpiece as, you know, the production still stands out, you know, really listening to it. It's so detailed and epic. Uh, Yeah, like I said, it did go very mainstream as, you know, I went to catholic predominantly white high school and yeah a lot of people were playing this there not to say that you know that's not the type of music that they listened to there but i mean like in the in the scheme of it like frank is you know he is one of the the biggest artists in the world he doesn't feel mainstream you know he doesn't make music for you know people in the mainstream for you know what the record company wants him to make or even his fans you know he does make music that his fans like, but it's not, you know, for his fans. It's just what he wants to make, which you could say, oh, yeah, a lot of artists do that. But when you listen to enough music, you can tell like those first singles if they're, you know, to get on the radio or if it's like if it's got a feature that, you know, is going to bring more sales. And, you know, yes, this album had like, you know, Andre 3000 and, you know, John Mayer and Earl, but those aren't like, you know, household you know, pop names on a, you know, kind of a pop R&B album, very, you know, mainstream, won a Grammy, and yeah, it was kind of the start of Frank's stardom. But yeah, because like, the only really pop record you could say that like was on the radio was like thinking about you. I mean, not up up here, I, I should say, but maybe down there, like in the States, you know, Lost, I could see... I don't know about Pyramids, I don't know if that would be on the radio. I mean, there's probably Radio Edit. I mean, that would be pretty epic if it was. But yeah, it's definitely hard to say. But yeah, I have to say, like, Frank is definitely very special because the fact that he makes music that, you know, and there's only very few artists, I would say, in the mainstream that still do that. Like, you can go on and on about underground music that, you know, but even some underground music, you're making music to get into the mainstream. And, like, sometimes if it's not working out, you gotta, like, 
you know, make a little switch on a song. But from the get-go, he hasn't really done that. Even with Nostalgia Ultra, it wasn't like he was trying to get a huge deal or go on a big tour from dropping that project. Even though that project, we'll get into another time, on another one of these throwback uh, reviews that we're doing. But yeah, like some of the tracks that like instantly, you know, obviously Pyramids, the video was really sick. The whole beat switch and his performance on it. Because when it first came out, I was like thinking about you then Pyramids for me. That was like, but then, you know, Super Rich Kids was on like the soundtrack for uh, Bling Ring, the Emma Watson movie. And, you know, had Earl on there, kind of introduced Earl to like the mainstream audience. And uh, yeah, we'll get to that song later, but. And then Forrest Gump at the Grammys. You know, that performance was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, definitely. And like for the whole like Channel Orange, you know, the name and stuff. You know, I like how because it does have a lot of like references to like movies. And I mean, it's more like references. You know, the majority of the album is about Frank and his life and the experiences he's gone through. As it's a very personal uh, project from the songwriting uh, point of view. But uh, at the same time, there are references like in pop culture, like some of the production. There's like uh, different samples of like whether it be like a football game or like you can hear like almost video games, music in the background, channel changing. You know, it's called Channel Orange. There is like one song we'll get to that. It's like it's like he's changing a channel. And some people say like the the actual music. It's got an orange feel to it. And then, yeah, you can see that it's like kind of a summer album. It came out in July. But I mean, if this was Channel Red, you could say like, it feels like red. I mean, maybe not, maybe not, but maybe there's a whole like scientific color thing going on there, but I didn't look into that. But let's get into the track listing. So we're going to break it down song by song. So we're going to talk about like the transitions, uh, you know, the subject matter, what's talked about on the song, on the songs and like throughout the project as a whole, and then kind of how does each song you know make us feel and we're gonna break down some of the lyrics and then after that we'll go over our top five lyrics and then top five songs uh but ish i'm gonna start with you so you kind of break down overall thoughts on the track list and then you can kind of go over the first top of the album for the listeners just kind of start my whole section off i say sonically it's one of the most consistent albums of the last decade and one thing I really would like to point out about this album is the transitions and also the the vulnerability in it. Because I feel like we get the most vulnerable version of Frank at this point of his career with the whole uh, Def Jam record label uh, situation he was going through at the time and his internal struggles as a person who often feels isolated by uh, the public and stuff like that. But uh, to start off the album, the album starts off with the track Start which is just like 45 seconds of ambience and, and retro cartoon sounds at the end of it, which transitions into the uh, the hit song, pretty much the, the most popular song off the album, Thinking About You. And the beginning of the track is like beautiful and it's so iconic. And one thing I'll say which most iconic about it, I think it's those violins that really pull uh, those people in who listen to the album. And this was the first single out of Channel Orange. It was originally a reference track for Bridget Kelly. And it was it was the radio hit of the album, but that song then transitions into Fertilizer, which is another 45-second track. And it starts out with similar sound from start, uh, then changing on the channel sounds come in, and the actual track starts with nice groove and, and beautiful keys. Then we're followed by Sierra Leone, which is the next track, and it's another amazing song. And I just ran out of 
The uh, I Just Ran Out of Trojans line, the 808s on it are amazing. I started a song. Uh, his vocal performance is amazing as well. Frank did an amazing job with that, which is arguable because you can say that for every song on this album. Uh, then the fifth track is uh, Sweet Life, very nostalgic as track. You could tell Frank is in his bag, and the best song wasn't the single, but you weren't living in Adara Heights, the Black Beverly Hills, Domesticated Paradise, Palm Trees and Pools, The Water's Blue, Swallow the Pill, Keeping It Surreal, Whatever You Like, Whatever Feels Good, Whatever Takes Your Mountain High, Keeping It Surreal, Not Sugar Free, My TV Ain't HD, That's Too Real, Grapevine, Mangoes, Peaches and Limes, and Sweet Life. A lot of bars there, which is crazy. Um... Pharrell assisted on the production on this song, and you really get Pharrell's his direction with this uh, song sonically, and, and it feels like a very Pharrell-esque track. And I got to give Pharrell's props. He's one of the top producers of all time, and this, this is one of those songs in his catalog that just shows that, uh, shows his work done on this song. Not Just Money uh, was a skit with uh, one of Frank's friend's mom, Rosie Watson, scolding him. Apparently, the people at Dev Jam thought it was a serious pay actress, which is crazy. And Rosie Watson, funny enough, would reprise her role as the scolded mother on Ocean's second album, Blonde, appearing on the track Be Yourself, which is actually very interesting. But that's pretty much my breakdown of the first half of the album. But I'm going to pass it over to Stikes, where he takes over the second half of Channel Orange. So then after the skit, Not Just Money, and I thought that was cool as well that it uh, was actually, because I thought it was Frank's mom the the first time and then i also thought on be yourself it was frank's mom like i thought that as well so that's funny that it's his friend's mom and i'm curious if it's he's scold or she is scolding frank or she's scolding her son that's interesting yes yeah, so this goes you know right into super rich kids you know a song that you know talking about like wasting money and partying and then you know from this skit where it's like not just money and the uh, you know, Frank's friend's mom is talking about not having enough money and, you know, for certain things. But yeah, Super Rich Kids is definitely top five uh, songs on the album. And yeah, like I said earlier, definitely introduce Earl's to the mainstream more and yeah, put him on uh, the radar for me as just an MC in the scheme of things in hip hop, because I would say he's top five uh, MC just talent wise uh, right now. And, you know, for the last like, I wouldn't say 10 years, but maybe like five to eight years. Uh, and then, so then the next song, track eight, uh, so Pilot Jones. So on this song, he kind of discusses, you know, the topic of his first love and almost compares it to a drug by using like a double entendre with Pilot Jones. And this is because, you know, a pilot, you know, who is one who, you know, either drives or steers, you know, likening to how lovers are, you know, jonesing or craving each other. And then also, like, pilots are, like, you know, the first episode of, you know, TV series. So that's hinting that it's, like, almost like a first love of Frank's. Yeah, he further adds, like, you know, another metaphor. So he uses, like, you know, drugs as an easy comparison to the love that they share. Uh, and there's, like, airplane sounds at the end. And, you know, for the smoker part, it's kind of like almost like on this song, he's like singing like he's like trouble, not trouble breathing, but there's like almost like a raspiness to his voice. And he did say in an interview that I don't know if he said if he was smoking a lot before the song or if he, you know, was just trying to sound like a, a smoker. But that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to sound like a smoker on this song. Uh, but then it's the next song. So 
and to crack rock which is like probably like top three production on the album for me is like really good production and the whole sequencing from like pilot jones to crack rock and then to like pyramids uh is quite good because pyramids is like one of the you know best songs of the 2010s you know it's amazing amazing beats back to back and you know the production i should say again it's amazing on this project and it's all done by you know almas key malay and then frank uh, and i believe malay is like close friend uh frank oceans from back in the day but uh yeah pyramid so it's like near you know 10 minute song uh, essentially like a long tale of ancient history of a black woman, you know, kind of compared to like Cleopatra on the track and her, you know, gradual decline from a queen in her homeland to her now being degraded in her new role in the Western Hemisphere. And yeah, she's no longer, you know, revered and but she's like used and abused by men who would have died to protect her, you know, many centuries ago. And it's kind of like, and I think it's like almost like a comparison to his like mother um, in a way and also just to like black women in general as, you know, I mean, you can like anyone can listen to this and, you know, kind of take their own experience from it. But I mean, specifically for the song, it's almost like, you know, a queen in her homeland, like Africa, for example, and then coming to the Western Hemisphere. And it's almost like she's almost like a stripper. Uh, to a certain extent in the song I believe I believe the video I mean it's in a club but I'm not sure maybe it's a strip club I can't remember seeing if there was like poles in that scene or not I just I can't remember that but uh, yeah and then until next song so Lost which is probably my favorite on the album yeah definitely amazing summer song timeless classic but yeah up to this point like every track is phenomenal like yeah definitely there's like you know if I'd say like one critique because this is like a classic album and it's hard to, you know, critique anything is, you know, you have those songs like, you know, Lost and then like Pyramids and, you know, Thinking About You and, you know, to the general, you know, masses, those might feel like as the most, you know, re-listenable songs you can play like not over and over, but like, you know, every day, every, you know, few times a day. And the other songs like, you know, some people may think like the, you know, the Frank Stans out there might think, you know, Crack Rock might be their favorite song or Forrest Gump. But a lot of these songs aren't, you know, it's not super mainstream. It's not like regular pop, you know, radio. So it's hard to say like every song is like super, you know, really listenable. You can listen to this all the time. Because I, I mean, I would say that, you know, objectively, but that's just not the case, you know, with the subject matter. There's a lot of like innuendos and, you know, drug metaphors like on, you know, I was discussing on Pilot Jones. But and then, like, you know, especially on Pyramids, it's like a 10-minute song, you know, and that's still, like, very popular, but didn't really go, you know, hit the mainstream audiences like I Thinking About You did. But, yeah, so then after Lost, and I believe, I remember, see, actually, it was that funny, it was on, like, TikTok, or, like, Issue, you definitely saw this, but it was, like, like finding out that Lost is about, you know, drug dealing. Um, it's about the girl, like, helping him out with drug dealing or something like that uh which i didn't think about obviously you know we'll get to the lyrics of that song later but i definitely didn't think about that uh but then the next song uh so it's white with john mayer and it's just like a relaxed instrumental version of frank's song white from the odd future tape uh, volume two and then the transition from this song into monks is definitely amazing as 
on monks, you know, Frank kind of discusses a uh, relationship that he had with a, you know, female groupie that he met on a tour and he continuously compares her or her and then the audience um or I should say the audience of his tours like in his shows to like Buddhist monks and their spiritual idol Dalai Lama. He's talking about like uh stage diving or yeah, I think it was mosh pit or stage diving Dalai Lama or something like that. But um yeah, just the the start of the song with like the relationship he has with the girl and you can tell like he makes it it's weird. That's like you can by listening to this, you can like understand the story, but it's not like you know, he's directly telling you, "Oh, I have a, I had a relationship with a groupie." And you kind of have to like listen to it a few times, uh which I do like about Frank and it's it uh shows off how definitely introspective he is even though and usually R&B is not this introspective. Uh Blonde, I mean we'll we'll argue when they will do Blonde versus uh, Channel Orange after we do the Blonde uh discussion, but cuz that album is super introspective. You know, this is not as much I would say like to a certain extent, you know, especially from the production standpoint, it's a lot brighter as you know we uh, talked about Orange, you know, the the album definitely a, yeah, a brighter uh, from the production and not all the songs because there are a lot of dark lyrics on here kind of depressing moments but for the most part it's kind of uplifting and even in the way frank sings it's a very uplifting way but the next song bad religion so on this song you know the first line is like taxi driver be my shrink for the hour leave the meter running it's rush hour so take the streets if you want to just outrun the demons could you kind of gives me like taxi driver movie vibes like, there's that one scene with Robert De Niro, and Martin Scorsese's he's in the back, and they're outside, like, his girlfriend's place, or wife, and she's cheating on him. And, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, like, messed up stuff being said, but, you know, in that scene, but it's, like, in that scene, you know, uh, Robert De Niro's taxi driver was, like, the, the shrink or the, you know, counselor therapist. And, yeah, I've certain, certainly, in my time, you know, whether it's Uber, taxis, you know, had long conversations with the driver. You know, usually when I've Ubered or taxied home, it's, like, long, like, 30, 30, to, 30 minutes to an hour. You know, usually it's not, you know, 15 minutes, but definitely longer uh, drives. And this song definitely gives uh, some New York vibes, just from not just, like, the taxi part, um, but just the sounds of the record uh specifically and then after this was pink matter with andre 3000 i love the guitar in the background and then even the solo towards the ending of the song and then yeah the three stacks uh feature is exceptional as always even though you know we get so few of these but it's nice that uh and maybe hopefully in the next frank album we'll get you know three stacks again on the be and it'll be like kind of three for three then after that, so we're at the very tail end. We got Forrest Gump, another great guitar riff on this track. Kind of a stadium anthem kind of track. You know, just not not from the standpoint, you know, and you want to scream this from the top of your lungs, but just the the vibe off this track and the production and how it feels. And he did perform the song at the Grammys, and well, yeah, which was an amazing performance. And then kind of near the middle of the track, he adds like some football stadium sounds and announcers after he like drops an end zone line. And then there's like whistling at the end of this track. 
And then that whistling goes into end. Uh, so there's some like boom bat at the beginning and throughout the track. But then the beginning riff, you know, kind of fades out one myth in. And that track is actually the unreleased uh, song Voodoo uh, that Frank posted to his Tumblr page uh, in early 2012 before the release of Channel Orange. And then, uh, you know, there's some after the minute, there's some rain and like ambiance, kind of similar to the first track start of the album with that ambiance on that track as it sounds like someone's walking into their house using keys but then there's like a conversation and i believe there's like car chimes as well and that's frank's uh, bmw x6 uh, that he had owned at the time that ends our trackless breakdown so now we're going to go through our top five lyrics so ish young to start with you uh what are your top five lyrics on the channel orange album top five lyrics First one I got is brash as fuck, breaching all these aqueducts. Don't believe us. Treat us like treat. Us, I'm sorry. Treat us like we can't erupt. Yup. That bar. I don't know Frank Ocean. Even though he's not a rapper, like sometimes his lyrics just like you get that. I don't know. You get that rap feel from him. And honestly, those are one of my favorite lyrics on the album. And the whole aqueducts bar line is just crazy to me. Honestly, I really enjoyed it. Next is from Crack Rock. I think this is uh, the hook. Hidden stones and glass homes, you're smoking stones and abandoned homes. You hit them stones and you broke your home. Like to me, what what that tells me is basically like the, the ultimate power of self-sabotage in a way. And that's why I really like it because like self-sabotage is just literally the definition of self-sabotage. Like literally causing the pain and stuff that you go through and just like putting yourself in a situation that you know isn't gonna benefit you in any way, which is called crazy. Next line is a uh, guy on my buttercream silk shirt and this Versace. Like that's cool because like I don't know. I remember Versace was like a little bit popular like around this time early start of the decade. Now like everybody's just like talk about maybe Balenciaga or maybe Christian Dior or or maybe some other brands. I, I don't even know. Like Versace was pretty popular in the early like towards the start of the decade, which is crazy. Next line I got the way you say my name makes me feel like I'm that nigga, but I'm still unemployed from um pyramids. I really like that line because it's like so relatable in a way, like as far as following your dreams and like having somebody who makes you feel like you're you're in a like you're greater than you you may feel at that moment is just like very important. I think that everybody who who has that is like pretty lucky. So like when I heard this bar, it's just like something that I want to experience or feel, which is like cool. And I really like that line. The last one I put, it's a little bit shorter, but I put, you've had a landscaper and a housekeeper since you were born, which is kind of just like poking fun at the whole idea that for those people that are born with a silver spoon in their mouth and pretty much have everything, I liked it because it stuck out to me because me, I didn't have everything growing up. So it's just funny that Frank, Frank as well, didn't have like a silver spoon uh, put in his mouth uh, growing up as well. So I think I really, I don't know, I just enjoyed this line as well. Basically, I can't really oversimplify it. And then for me... So first, I got uh, this from uh, Pyramids, and it's kind of after the kind of beat switch. Uh, but pimping in my convos, bubbles in my champagne, let it be some jazz playing. Top floor motel suite, twisting my cigars, floor model TV with the VCR. Got rubies in my damn chain, whip ain't got no gas tank, but it's still wood grain. It's funny starting trying not to wrap that, but uh, yeah, no, I like I like that line. Convos, the convos line, and I believe I think he's talking about Converse, but maybe he's talking about something else. But um, and then let the let it be some jazz playing. It's a good line too. 
But uh, yeah, I also just love the transition into these uh, bars where he, and I love when Frank kind of raps. I wouldn't say it's my favorite Frank, but I do love it when he raps. And then next up from Forrest Gump, I got uh, my fingertips and lips. They burn from cigarettes. Forrest Gump, you run my mind, boy. And obviously, you know, if people didn't know, Frank is, you know, bisexual. And he does talk about, like, it's not, like, over the top, but he does talk the monks track where he's talking about a relationship with a groupie. So he does talk about, you know, his relationships with his girls. And then on, you know, this track, he's saying, you run my mind, boy. And he's, I believe he's referring uh, a guy, he's having a relationship as Forrest Gump. And, yeah, and then the cigarettes line... Uh, you know, I burned my hand and, you know, lips from cigarettes before. So that, yeah, that's definitely relatable. But yeah, don't smoke cigarettes. Uh, <laughs> but then next track, or uh, next lyric, I should say, we're behaving like teenagers. Yes, we're behaving like teenagers, making less than minimum wage, still inside our parents' homes. No, I don't live in Denver. No, I don't live in Denver. I grew up in Sierra Leone, and that's from Sierra Leone. But yeah, definitely top seven track, top eight track on the album for me. And I also love how he, when he goes back and, you know, talks about his life and then, you know, clearly he's talking about, um, you know, being a teenager, still living inside your parents' house, making less than minimum wage. And then um, just the whole Denver to Sierra Leone. And when he says it on the record, it sounds a lot better than me saying it, obviously. But uh and then so my fourth lyric, too many bottles of this wine we can't pronounce, too many bowls of that green, no lucky charms, the maids come around too much, parents, parents ain't around enough, too many joy rides and daddy's jaguar, too many white lies and white lines, super rich kids with nothing but loose ends, super rich kids with nothing but fake friends. So yeah, good. Uh, that's the intro for uh, super rich kids. And uh yeah, definitely, like, probably one of the most, like, iconic openings of a uh, Frank track. Yeah, and there's something about the song, like, uh, I didn't talk about on the tracklist breakdown, but, like, it almost feels like, you know, the character that he's encompassing on this track, like, is a rich kid. Like, not even just, like, if you take away the lyrics and just talk about the performance and then the production, it's a very, like, rich uh, feel to it. And then so the last lyric... Uh, so this is from Lost, and uh, yeah, definitely for me the most iconic. So now you're lost, lost in the heat of it all, girl. You know you're lost, lost in the thrill of it all. Miami, Amsterdam, Tokyo, Spain, lost, Los Angeles, India, lost on a train, lost. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely the most quotable. I mean, we didn't put thinking about you on here, but like, other than like thinking about you, definitely like the most quotable. I have to say. But that brings us into our top five songs. Uh, so Ishan, I'm going to start with you. What are your top five songs on Channel Orange? I just want to point out before I start this, Thinking About You is in my top five, but I do, I kind of want to shed light on the other songs. So I'm going to put uh, Thinking About You at my five spot. At my fourth spot, I'll put, that's, that's the hard part, you know? Actually, I want to do it from the top down. Uh, my number one song is Crack Rock. Number two, I'm going to put Lost. Number three, Pyramids. Number four, I'll put Super Rich Kids. And number five, I'll put think, Thinking About You. And then, so for me, I'll do five, Thinking About You, four, Super Rich Kids, three, Bad Religion, two, Pyramids, and then one, Lost. And then, so now for our rating. Uh, so like we talked about on 
you know, the I believe the Playboy Cardi review, and then our last album reviews. Um, so the age like fine wine rating. Uh, so you know, does the album sound better ten years later? I think ten years is pretty good. In care, you could do five or like you know, four. I mean, it's really you know up to you know whoever the listener is. But I think ten years is a good benchmark to you know figure out fine wine rating and like classic status. So I'm gonna give this ten out of ten. You know, everything from the album cover, you know, Frank's performance, uh, you know, the Grammy that was won, the SNL performance, and, you know, just the fact that 10 years later, this album, you know, sounds so much better and more unique than probably 90% of the music that I've listened to, you know, since, you know, 2012. Uh, But yeah, Issue, what do you have uh, for your rating for this project? Yeah, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. I think it's a classic. It is like fine wine, but... It's definitely a classic, but one thing I'll point out is just like listening to it now, it still feels brand new. It doesn't feel like an album that came out 10 years ago. It feels like an album that came out within this decade because a lot of the subject matter on this album is like just so relatable for young adults. And I feel like as more young adults continue to listen to this album, whether you're new to Frank or you've been listening to Frank for a long time, eventually a lot of the subject matter on this album will become relatable with like coming of age and early 20s and adulthood and me just starting to enter that. Like, I turned 19 next month. It's, it's insane that this album still sounds brand new, and it's it released, essentially, I don't even know how old, like, 10 years ago. So I was around, I was, like, 8, 9 years old. So it's just crazy that this album has aged that well over that period of time. And Frank Ocean did his thing with this, and this is a classic, and I love this album. Yeah, love this album, too. But that concludes our first throwback review of Channel Orange by Frank Ocean. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you like this episode, please suggest some other album ideas that we could review and you know re-listen to either from the 90s, 80s, 70s, any era. Um, and we'll try to expand genres a bit more uh, for this. Uh, but now I'm going to play a track for you. A new issue song. So this dropped about last week on SoundCloud. So this is Issues Interlude. I uh, hope you guys enjoy this track. Tell me what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. I'm climbing new heights with this rapping shit like a cool performer. Unreleased albums on my hard job. I'm a fucking hoarder. Still getting judged by the masses like this is law and order. So many dreams I must achieve by myself. Just wrote my Grammy speech to tell the kids I needed some help. Cause often people like to forget locations and places they came from. But never want to remember where they can always end up. I'm writing verses of pain, not focused on their income. But I got a dollar in the dream, so now I gotta get uh. up. I would be lying if I said that I was perfect Cause family and friends always make me feel like I'm worthless Uh, I'm in a dark room making records, man, I never gave up I still got love for my ex, yeah, happy for the breakup I must revitalize the life and times of issue high Or Taja Dean McLaughlin cause that kid is super fly That alter ego don't mean nothing when you got the glory Graffiti boy versus
curses you hot now that's my fucking story they said that life is a gift i need to rap it more early mornings walking to school around the reservoir uh, one chapter of my life is closing while another opens left my city finding solace all my records going golden i mean i'm surely hoping because i've been staying focused but haters love to see the evil like it's hocus pocus my life be feeling like it's boy meets world fuck on topanga i can make it in this white man world i need to find a shorty tasting like the pecan swirls i know i got so many dreams i need a weekend world All right, so that was Issue's interlude. Hope you enjoyed that track. Uh, go follow Issue on SoundCloud and like that song. Share it to your Instagram stories, uh, wherever you share stuff, group chats, etc. Uh, but now we're going to talk about uh, so some NFL 2022 uh, playoff talk and then Super Bowl preview. So Issue and I are going to... Just go over each game that occurred in the playoffs briefly, and then we'll get into NFL awards and preview for the Super Bowl. Uh, so let's get into the playoffs. So we'll start kind of the wild card uh, games as, you know, the Bengals, who are in the Super Bowl against the Rams, they beat the Raiders 26-19 uh, in the first, you know, wild card game on the Saturday, uh, January 15th. And then the Bills uh, beat the Panthers 47-17. A uh, big, you know, AFC East uh, matchup. And, you know, the Bills coming up on top there. Uh, blowing out and, yeah, definitely getting to uh, the rookie QB, Mac Jones. And then after that, so the Eagles, they lost to the Buccaneers. The surprise Eagles definitely didn't think uh, they would make the playoffs at the beginning of the year. Uh, but they beat, or they lost, I should say, to the Buccaneers, 31-15. Uh, to 15. And then in kind of a surprise game, so the 49ers beat the Cowboys. Cowboys' first you know, playoff game, yet again, they lose 23-17. Uh, to 17. And in that game, you know, Dak kind of had that infamous, you know, ran out of time or whatever, blaming the ref or, you know, what, whatever happened there. But, uh, yeah, Jerry Jones was quite pissed. And I was actually talking to a uh, Cowboys fan on Twitter, and because uh, he was talking about how Jerry Jones was like really like he was really upset about this game more so than other ones. And uh, the Cowboys fan was like, why, though, like <laughs> lose every year uh, this time or, you know, the first game or even the first game in like, you know, the divisional series, they'll lose. 
But uh, yeah, 49ers, you know, they just lost to the Rams in the championship game. Uh, so definitely positives uh, for that team, even though it's hard to say, you know, positive of not making the Super Bowl. But yeah, no one thought that they would beat the Cowboys. Um, I actually went undefeated in my pick for the wildcard week. So I did think that they would. Um, but uh, then the Chiefs, so they beat the Steelers 42 to 21. Definitely a good start for them. I know they started slow to the game, and then they came out with like 21 straight points, uh, I believe in the second or third quarter. And then the last game, so the Monday night game, and uh, I don't remember there being Monday night games in the playoffs, but the uh, Peyton brothers, or the the Manning brothers, not the Peyton brothers. Uh, Sorry, Eli, didn't mean that one there. Uh, They did that game, and uh, it was the Rams uh, beating the Cardinals 34-11, to which was like pretty much a blowout game. Then on to the divisional series. So the Bengals beat the Titans, who are the number one seed in the AFC, 19-16. Uh, definitely a close game, and my biggest takeaway from this game is you know, the Titans had chances to win. You know, With Tannehill throwing like three picks, one in the red zone. Uh, and it makes you think, if they had a better quarterback, they definitely would have won this game, for sure, as you know, they sacked Joe Burrow, I think like nine times or something like that. But uh, then the 49ers beat the Packers on the Saturday night game. Yeah, I don't know. The Packers seem like they're controlling the game for the most part, but, you know, they were up by the one score the whole game. And then, yeah, they, the last score to tie it was just a blocked punt, you know, which is just a, just a horrible way to go. And then, you know, the field goal. Uh so we'll see what happens with Aaron Rodgers in this offseason. We'll do, after the Super Bowl, we'll do like an offseason talk, kind of break down, you know, what each team needs to do. We'll do the draft and all that, free agency and fun stuff, because football does go pretty much all year round with the news and stuff like that. But then the Rams beat the Bucks, you know, 30-27. Um, yeah, this was a pretty crazy game as, you know, Brady was down like, what, it was like 27 to you know, three at the half or something like that. Or not the half, but, like, going into the third quarter or, like, about two, two, three minutes into the third quarter, I should say. And then they came back, they tied it, and, yeah, I thought for sure. Like, when I saw the score, I was like, there's no way. Like, I think they were down by two scores in the fourth. And I was like, oh, there's no way. And then, you know, you never say never with Tom Brady. And we've been pretty much saying that all year. Uh, as last year, you know, we picked pretty much picked the Chiefs to win, but uh, yeah, crazy game nonetheless. And then you know, Tom Brady retired uh, this week, as yeah, Tom Brady's definitely the goat in the NFL, and you know, a lot of people say in sports in general because he got seven rings, but Bill Russell got a lot of rings too, so it's kind of hard for that. And then the Kansas City Chiefs and Bills game was crazy. And issue, I'll get your take on this because you know we both you know kind of picked the Bills to win this year, and it looked like they were going to win you know many times in this game. But that was probably one of the craziest games I've ever seen. Uh, and it kind of makes the OT rule again look pretty stupid, as you know not necessarily in the Bengals game because the Chiefs did have a chance to win that game, but. Yeah, they got to bring back, or not bring back, it's always been like this, but, you know, maybe like the college football rules where they go back and forth, but, um, yeah, what were your thoughts on the Buffalo Bills season and then this crazy game uh, between the Chiefs and Bills? 
Okay, one thing I'll say is throughout this season, the Buffalo Bills have shown me that they're one of the best teams in the NFL. Like, we noticed, like, their offense is amazing. Um, Earlier in the season, they went on that crazy run. Josh Allen did amazing things for me this year on fantasy. Um, So pretty much coming into this year, I had them to win the Super Bowl because I felt like they had a chip on their shoulder and they were just ready to prove a bunch of people wrong. And they have proved a bunch of people wrong. And I think what they did amazing this year was just, like, just sticking to their guns and doing what they needed to do that was necessary for them to win. And I was hyped for them to play against the Chiefs because they genuinely had that game in the bag. They genuinely had that game in the bag. Here, like, they could have won that game. But that stupid OT rule where the first team that scores a touchdown and overtime wins, it, did, it didn't give the Bills enough time to put Josh Allen back in for him to be able, him to, be able to clutch up because he would have clutched up and they would have won the game. And it's like the defense pretty much already knew once the Chiefs had the ball in all time that they were going to lose. Come on, it's, it's the Chiefs. You got Patrick Mahomes. They got some weapons. Travis Kelce. They got Tyreek Hill. Edward Tiller. They got enough. Their defense has seen some improvements this year because early in the season, uh, the Chiefs defense looked at like very piss poor and I had to take them off my fantasy. But yeah, pretty much the Chiefs, they, I mean, the Bills had this game in the bag, but it's just that stupid OT rule. And I just feel like it's unfair because I really wanted to see the Buffalo Bills do amazing things. My social studies uh, or government teacher, she's a big Bills fan. So when we came back to class, she was explaining how much she hated the rule. She said she damn near had a breakdown and started crying because she's a Bills fan. And I felt her pain because I'm not a Bills fan. I'm a Giants fan. Um, they haven't made playoffs in a minute. So I pretty much like wrote that off. But Josh Allen, I'm a big fan of Josh Allen. Buffalo Bills, I low-key support that team as well. I think I'd say because of Griselda is one of the reasons why I support the Buffalo Bills and stuff like that. But that's pretty much my take on it, man. I hope the Buffalo Bills just come back stronger and they win next year because I just want to see Josh Allen continue to do amazing things. He's like my favorite quarterback in the league. And uh, it was just like so damn unfortunate. But I'm going to pass it back over to you, Stakes. Yeah, it was unfortunate. And yeah, hopefully they maybe change that rule up. I mean, I don't think they will next year, but maybe in the next few years we'll see. Because they definitely make the game more exciting, too, if we're going back and forth. But uh, then the championship game, so the uh, Bengals beat the Chiefs in overtime by field goal. Yeah, that kicker that they have, um, the rookie, Emden McPherson, definitely clutch kicker. And, you know, it's definitely frustrating because Issue and I both shat on the Bengals all year on this podcast. And, you know, talked about how their fans are overconfident, and they made it. And, yeah, props to Joe Burrow and that whole team. Uh, we'll get into that more in the preview. Uh, but then the Rams beat the 49ers 20-17 to in a game that they were losing in the fourth quarter and came back, you know, went ahead. And, uh, yeah, big big win for Matt Stafford and that team. Odell's finally in the Super Bowl, uh, so that'll be interesting. Uh, but now on to the NFL Honors, so that's the NFL Awards. So they're held uh, next Thursday, the 10th, uh, the Thursday before the Super Bowl. And uh, so we'll just go through each uh, award and then kind of the nominees in our predictions. So for MVP, uh, definitely kind of the top five would be like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Jonathan Taylor, Joe Burrow, Cooper Cup. So definitely a possibility for a non-QB to win this year with Jonathan Taylor, you know, having like, I think like 600 more rushing yards than everyone in the league. And then Cooper Cup almost breaking the, you know, the receiving record. But I think it's definitely going to come down to Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. I would go with Aaron Rodgers just numbers-wise. 
I mean, you could say Tom Brady, just the fact that he's like 44 years old and doing what he did, throwing 5,000 yards, just crazy. But I think it will go to Rodgers. They had the higher seed. And yeah, I think just definitely, he's definitely better, you know, skilled uh, QB this year specifically. I'm not talking all time. And he won last year. But there is like, you know, the recency bias if they won't go with Rodgers because they gave it to him. But I think it's a pretty good chance him or Brady. Um, and I think Taylor and Cup will definitely get votes. Probably Burrow as well, but I'm not so sure about Burrow. Because they don't really give it for playoff, you know, based on what's going on in the playoffs at all. Maybe they will this year a little bit, but uh, what do you think for the MVP? I could have sworn coming into this year, I said, I think I said Josh Allen. I threw his name up in there. I said Devontae Adams. Didn't I also say Derrick Henry? I think I said Derrick Henry as well. I'm not too sure. Um, I definitely think it's going to go to Aaron Rodgers at this point, or it could possibly go to Brady considering he retired and they may want to just, they may want to just give him his like, you know, his final like praise or like give him that last award. Cause it's like, that's going to pretty much the last time we're going to see Tom Brady in action in the NFL. So I, I think he's definitely up there as well. Cooper cup as well, because like the shots uh, Cooper cup has made this season has been amazing. And, um, you know, the Rams, I remember we gave them a little bit of a little bit of uh, some harsh criticism earlier in the season. Not as hard as we were on as like the Bengals, but like we pretty much like it's like few few weeks during the early game, earlier uh, weeks in the uh, NFL season. I'm sorry, we pretty much gave them crap, and Cooper Cup was definitely a part of them like turning things around. And I remember the Od o- Odell trade, so I guess he's a-, a weapon that you can't really sleep on. But I yeah, I say. My top three is between Rodgers, Brady, and definitely Cooper Cup. More so because of Cooper Cup's uh, strides on offense. But Joe Burrow, I don't think that he'll win it. I think that maybe in a season or two, possibly, but like, nah, not MVP. I think it's going to either be, really think Brady or Rodgers. But I put Brady at number one because he's retiring. Yeah, definitely Brady or Rodgers. But uh, yeah, and all the, and in the flack that uh, we put on the Rams too should be noted. But yeah, this is all motivational tactics for these teams. You know, they're in the Super Bowl because they heard, obviously, our they listened to our podcast, you know, heard what we said, and then it, it fueled them at practice. So yeah, definitely going to pat ourselves on the back for that one. Uh, but now on to Offensive Player of the Year. So I think it's definitely come down to Cooper Cup, Jonathan Taylor. Toss up for me, but I would have to go with uh, Cooper Cup. I don't know. I, I feel like, yeah, Taylor definitely had more yards, purpose yards. But the fact that Cup had like over 1,800, you know, 1,900 yards, definitely crazy. And yeah, it's good you pointed out Derrick Henry because at the point where before Derrick Henry got injured, you know, he was definitely the MVP front runner. You know, we we picked, I think I picked Josh Allen too. But uh, yeah, he was the front runner. I think he would have won if he played the full year. And then defensive player of the year. So, you know, between TJ Watt, Trevon Diggs, the Cowboys having all those picks. Although I don't think he'll win because he gave up like I think 1,200 yards receiving wise. Um, even though he gets a lot of picks, you know Micah Parsons, the rookie, he'll definitely get some votes. And then Miles Garrett on the Browns, but I think it will go to T.J. Watt. You know the amount of sacks he had, the games he missed. I think he missed three, four games, and then still led the league in sacks. And then the fact that Steelers did make the playoffs, which I was shocked about. You know, the Colts losing to the Jaguars in that last game of the year, which is still, like, I just don't understand how that happened. But, uh, Issue, who do you got for Offensive Player of the Year and then uh, Defensive Player of the Year? Offensive Player of the Year, like, 
I'm gonna go with Cooper Cup. I'm definitely go with Cooper Cup. I've seen some amazing things with him. I played. I've seen a few of his highlights throughout the season, and he do looks amazing. And slowly, not slowly, I think quickly, he's risen up as one of the best like receivers in the league this season. So I definitely go like up there with him for that. And defensive player, like it's between, like it could go through like pretty much everyone on this list. It uh, it could fall on any one of them. Like I want to say Jalen Ramsey. But like I feel like that'd be too obvious. Like pretty much like you anyone on this list could go. Definitely like Trayvon Diggs or T.J. Watt as well, or even Miles Garrett. I like the things I seen from Miles Garrett this season. I don't, I didn't mention that a lot during the early weeks in this podcast. So like pretty much those few could go. I'm gonna go with Miles Garrett for Defensive Player of the Year, and for Offensive Player of the Year, I'm gonna go with Cooper Cup. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's gonna be close, but yeah, I think Cooper Cup and then T.J. Watt for me. Uh, but then offensive rookie of the year. So, you know, Mac Jones obviously was like the number one QB in the class. Uh, Jamar Chase, the number one wide receiver. And then you can see Kyle Pitts was the number one tight end. Um, you know, Rashawn Slater's up there, the offensive tackle for the Chargers. Jalen Waddle, wide receiver on the Dolphins. But yeah, definitely going to be between Mac Jones and Jamar Chase. I would say Mac Jones because of the, you know, favoritism towards, you know, QBs and like the MVP award and this award in general. But I think Jamar Chase has definitely a good, he's a good chance, not even because of his, you know, playoff, you know, success as I think he broke the rookie record for receiving yards uh, in the playoffs, just in the, you know, the AFC championship game. But yeah, that one's a tough one. I think that's definitely a toss up similar to the offensive player of the year. Uh, but I'm going to go with uh, Jamar Chase for this one. And then Defensive Rookie of the Year between Ma- Micah Parsons of the Cowboys and Pat Sertan of the Broncos. And I got to go to uh, Parsons just for the amount of, you know, sacks he had. And, you know, the fact that, you know, Pat Sertan was really good. But the, you know, the Broncos have a, you know, definitely a stronger defense across the board. Uh, compared to you know the Cowboys, uh, per se. Um, but issue, who do you got for offensive rookie of the year, and then defensive rookie of the year? I, I'm gonna start off with offensive rookie of the year. Like I definitely, I I want to go. I want to say this. Shout out to Mac Jones and everything that he's done this season. They obviously made the right choice between him and Cam Newton. I know Mac Jones was kind of like um, he wasn't really on the top of everyone's list out of all the quarterbacks coming out of his respective draft class, but I think the strides he's made this season is amazing, and New England Patriots fans got to be happy about that. So I want to give him his praise. But for me, rookie of the year, you know who I, I hope win is uh, Kyle Pitts. He's just done amazing things for me during the uh, fantasy season, and I remember cashing out on him, and I remember I made the investment, and even though I didn't do as expected – uh, this fantasy season, I think in those earlier weeks, Kyle Pitts has shown me that he's a he's a very amazing player. Uh, he's an amazing catcher. He's strong. He's very fast as well. And I just enjoyed having him get points for me on the fantasy season. So I hope he wins uh, offensive rookie of the year. And uh, for a defensive rookie of the year, I, I want to go with somebody different. I want to go with Asante Samuel uh, Jr. for the Chargers. Uh, he didn't he didn't get a lot of national t- attention as the rest of the players on this list, but. And I want to give him his praise because he's done some amazing things on the defensive side of the ball for the Chargers. And um, the Chargers defense, man, he's definitely made it better. So I want him to win defensive rookie of the year. And for offensive rookie of the year, I want Kyle Pitts to win. But if Mac Jones was to win, I would definitely be happy about that. Yeah, that's a good add. Asante Samuel of the Chargers. Yeah, he was very good this year, I have to say. And a lot of the Chargers game I watched, he was 
Definitely similar to Jalen Ramsey, how he came in. And I believe they both came from uh, Florida State. So um, we'll check that for the in the offseason, but I'm pretty sure he did. Um, and then on to comeback player of the year. Uh, so this is kind of another two-horse race with Dak Prescott, Joe Burrow. Uh, Prescott, obviously, more serious injury, but that's not to discount how serious a ACL injury is, especially for you know a rookie quarterback coming back. And, you know, people weren't sure about the Bengals coming into this year after winning, what, like seven games or six games in two years. But, yeah, Nick Bosa is also on this list of the 49ers. After he was injured last year, he had a strong year. And then Carson Wentz, but I'd feel type of way about him winning. Just how that season ended. But, yeah, there was times this year we talked about where he looked like an MVP and then sometimes he looked like a CFL quarterback. Uh, But I would go Dak Prescott, you know, just for the injury. You know, we talked about it on this podcast when it happened. And just the importance of him to this team, you know, when he was out, how bad they were. Uh, But then for coach of the year, definitely between, you know, Bill Belichick, Cliff Kingsbury of the Cardinals, Kyle Shanahan on the 49ers, you know, Matt LaFleur LaFleur of the uh, Packers, Sean McVay, a lot of young guys on this list, you know, Mike Vrabel of the Titans. I think he's definitely up there, you know, with the number one seed. And then, you know, Zach Taylor of the Bengals. But I definitely think that it's going to go between Belichick, Vrabel, and like Mike or Matt LaFleur, you know, because of the number one seeds. And then just how good, you know, the Patriots did this year after spending all that money and with the rookie quarterback. And then for executive of the year, uh, this one's kind of hard to pick because, you know, Belichick's a GM as well. So definitely got to put him him up there with all the moves they made offseason. Uh, Brian Gutenkus of the Packers, you know, they got the number one seed. You know, should be noted he had to deal with all that stuff in the offseason. Um, you know, with Rodgers, all the rumors about him wanting him fired and this and that, not having the right players in there. So, yeah, he should be congratulated for all that stress he had to do, uh, go through. And then Chris Ballard of the Colts. You know, he's always, you know, uh, phrased as one of the top GMs in the league. Uh, and I, I would put him there at top five, definitely with making moves. And, yeah, he even said that they're not satisfied at quarterback. So Carson Wentz could be um, on his third team in three years, potentially. But uh, issue, who do you got for comeback player of the year, coach of the year, and then executive of the year uh, for our last three awards that we're going to discuss? Yeah, for comeback player of the year, um, I got to I gotta go with Dak Prescott. I could see why some may go with Joe Burrow. Or even Carson Wentz, like with the whole like situation that went down in Philadelphia before he came to uh, Indianapolis. But um, me, I got to go with Dak Prescott because that injury, and, and, and we said this numerous times on this podcast, that injury that Dak Prescott suffered uh, last season was so gruesome. It looked it painful. He literally had to be carried off on a stretcher. I was at work watching the game when it happened. Um, For him to come back and for the for the Cowboys to – slowly pick up the pieces and just like start to rebuild everything around and just like they started playing so much better this season than they did last season i'm happy that Dak prescott was able to come back healthy and well you know come back as healthy as he could possibly be and just like show how good of a player he is because a lot of people were writing him off so i want Dak prescott to win comeback player of the year but you can make your arguments for joe burrow or carson Wentz as well and i think for coach of the year i'm definitely gonna go with matt lafleur i think like I think he definitely is going to win it. I think there's some reports saying he's going to win it. So I'm going to go with Matt LaFleur for that. And uh, for executive of the year, I'm going to go with Bill Belichick. 
Uh, but now let's get to the Super Bowl. Uh, so Super Bowl 56 is going to be held on February 13th, 2022. Uh, it's good to have the Bengals versus the Rams. It's in LA. So the Rams have a chance to be the second team to win on home on their home turf. Uh, the Super Bowl, I should say. Uh, so it's going to be Joe Burrow versus Matt Stafford. You know, Rams D versus the Bengals offense. Uh, you know, can Stafford, you know, limit the turnovers? Uh, in this game, and how will both you know QBs fare in their first Super Bowl? You know, Joe Burrow's. I think he's gonna be like the first one to win the Heisman, NCAA championship, and a Super Bowl. Um, so, in terms of like him being, you know, not afraid of the bright lights of the moment, I think we've definitely seen that he can live up to that. You know, he went against Trevor Lawrence, you know, in that game, you know, a few or two years ago now, but. Uh, yeah, it's going to be hard because he's going up against, you know, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, Miller, you know, that defense. I do think Aaron Donald's going to get after him uh, in this game. And then, you know, for the Rams, you know, you got Matt Stafford, you know, throwing to Odell, Cooper Cup. Unfortunately, they don't have Robert Woods. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be interesting what happens there. Odell in his first Super Bowl. Yeah, I already know he's going to be showing up, looking, you know, fly for Super Bowl week. Yeah, I think Cooper Cup is definitely going to be the difference maker for this team. And then Cam Akers as well, who's come back from Achilles tear at the beginning of the year, which is crazy. And then on the you know Bengals side, their weapons that they got, you know, Higgins, Jamar Chase, and Mixon. Can they go off against this team? And can Jalen Ramsey stop, you know, Higgins and Chase? You know, he'll probably be on Higgins, but, uh, or uh, he'll probably be on Chase, but uh, I assume he'll, you know, go after Higgins sometimes. But uh, let's talk about the halftime show because it does have, you know, some hip hop implications as Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Kendrick, and Mary J. Blige are performing. Uh, so we'll talk about briefly what songs we think we're going to hear for them. You know, definitely forget about Dre, you know, the, you know, Eminem and Dre song, you know, Lose Yourself, you should expect to hear that. Gin and Juice, probably, you know, still Dre. You know, Snoop and Dre, you know, Family Affair, Be Without You, Mary J. Blige, and then, but yeah, Issue, what songs do you think are going to play, and what songs do you think Kendrick is going to play? You think, like, King, uh, King Kunta, maybe Mad City, you know, Swimming, Swimming Pools, Money Trees, what, what do you think uh, is Kendrick going to play at the Super Bowl? I'm going to be honest, my expectations are low. I feel like they're going to play a bunch of dam- uh, songs from Damn, which is okay, but I feel like it's been, like, overused in like the whole sports culture. I want to hear some more songs from Good Kid, Mad City, and To Pimp a Butterfly from Kendrick. But forget about Dre, Lose Yourself, Gin and Juice. I think those songs will definitely be played. But like the most, the one that sticks out to me is really Mary J. Like I, I know she's definitely, they're definitely going to play Family Affair. And I and it's crazy. You know how I know this? I'm predicting this now because I've been hearing Family Affair like numerous times. And I wasn't the one that played it. Like I just heard it around me. Randomly, so I think that she's gonna play Family Affair when we get there. Maybe Be Without You, like that's a classic Mary J. Bosch song. I don't even know you know about that, but Kendrick from Kendrick, I really, I really want uh, some Good Kid, Mad City, and To Pimp a Butterfly songs. But I feel like they're not. They're gonna use a bunch of songs from Damn, like maybe Humble or DNA or maybe uh, Love. So who knows? But like I, I'm happy to, I'm happy to just see Kendrick perform anyway and see. Kendrick back into the spotlight because he's been quiet for a few years and Kendrick needs to drop an album, man. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he, he plays. I definitely think DNA. He could come out to DNA. Or who knows? He might drop a song this week or next week, you know, in preparation. Uh, this week as in tonight, actually. But I don't think he will. I don't think he will before the Grammys and then perform it. I hope he doesn't play Humble. Like, I don't want to, like, I'll be pretty pissed off if they play that. But, uh, yeah, no, Mary J. Blige, it's the, that's my artist, yo. Love her. Love her. Uh, but let's go over some predictions for the game, and then we'll break these down after the Super Bowl. So both me and Issue are going for the Rams. Uh, we're going against the Bengals yet again. You know, it's hard for me to, like, go against the Bengals again because I don't want to pick the wrong team, you know, or rather, rather not. But, um, yeah, I just think the Rams' defense is going to get after, you know, this Bengals' offensive line. And, yeah, I think Ramsey is going to be a big factor. And I think, yeah, Coppin and Odell will get touchdowns. But I think it will be uh, a big game. I'm going to go with 42-39. And Issue, what is your final score prediction uh, for the game? Uh, yeah, me, I'm going with the Rams. And my, my final score is similar to yours, 42-39. to I think um, what's going to be the difference um, between the Rams and the Bengals in this game are that they're both talented teams. Even though we were like throwing shit on the Bengals earlier in uh, uh, the football season, I think the Rams' defense is definitely what what uh, gives them this edge. And I say Cooper Cup. I think Cooper Cup is probably the best offensive uh, player. Yeah, I think Cooper Cup is definitely the best offensive player in the series. And I think, um, well, not this series because it's only one game in this this game. I'm sorry, I'm thinking about baseball and basketball. But yeah, Cooper Cup is definitely gonna. Um, he's my prediction for Super Bowl MVP, and I think that. He's going to show that he's that guy, and I feel like he's not going to disappoint when it's time to clutch up, and I think that this is going to be an amazing Super Bowl game, so I'm hyped. To, uh, I'm hyped. Yeah, I'm super pumped uh, for Cooper Cup as well. Definitely been a big fan of him the last few years, especially in fantasy. But uh, yeah, me and my buds, we call Cooper Cup a, G, a G-dub, uh, as he's a you know good white, and uh, a G-dub. For those who don't know, it's not just any, you know, talented white man. It's those who are talented in a black dominant sport. So, you know, like, uh, you know, Tom, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning don't count because they're QBs and most QBs are white. So that doesn't really count. But like, for example, like a Steve Nash or like a Tyler Harrow or Christian McCaffrey. At positions that are like, you know, predominantly, you know, had successful and yeah, like, there's only, I don't think there's been, like, any Mexicans in the NFL, but uh, predominantly black and white, um, I would say. There's been some European, actually, a uh, few drafted, um, and Canadians, obviously, but that doesn't really count. Um, but for Super Bowl MVP, I'm going to go with Aaron Donald. I think he's going to get a lot of sacks, and I just think Stafford will probably throw a pick, but it'll probably end up going to Stafford, but I'm going to throw Aaron Donald. Who do you got issue for Super Bowl MVP? Yeah, I'm going to go with that guy, that dude, Cooper Cup. I think he's going to show out. I think he's going to show us why he's, yeah, I think he's going to show us why he's that guy. (laughs) And yeah, I'm pretty much looking forward to seeing Cooper Cup in action. But like, yeah, Aaron Donald, yeah, I can see him going, doing his thing on defense as well. And I think uh, with Joe Burrow, I think he's going to definitely put some fans to his heart and definitely get some some sacks on him maybe. But yeah, I'm going to go with Cooper Cup for Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, it should be a great game. Uh, Joe Burrow. Uh, you know, the French way of uh, pronouncing it. I definitely I want to cop one of those Joe Burrow LSU jerseys. Because, yeah, I was definitely a fan of him when he was at LSU. But, I mean, it seems like we're not fans of, like, we're not fans of the Bengals fans. We should say that. Um, as we talked about there, you know, their Twitter antics uh, throughout the year. Uh, but this concludes our Super Bowl and NFL Awards preview. 
Uh, thank you guys for listening to this. Uh, stay tuned for a, a breakdown of the Super Bowl after. Uh, lots of off-season talk, but yeah, we did almost, you know, we did about like 10 to 12 episodes of the NFL this season. So pretty proud of that. We'll try to get more consistent for next year, but thank you guys for listening as you guys do, you know, love the NFL episodes, those who do love the NFL. And uh, yeah, thank you for, you know, reaching out and saying you want to hear more of it. Um, we'll definitely try to be more consistent for next year. Uh, but issue, I'll let you close this one off. Yeah, I want to say thank you to everyone who consistently listens to the Savant podcast and supports us. Like, it means a lot. Um, me and Stike's got a bunch bunch of episodes uh, lined up. And, yeah, we got some some more album reviews. Just a bunch of pop culture talk as well. So look forward to that. And, uh, yeah, thank you for help, uh, joining us on this uh, entry of the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Simply whiskey, now I'm feeling jaded. Monochrome season, out of space shit. Now we feeling so conceited. All the competition they defeated. Newspaper and issue we genius.
Monochrome 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 Monochrome